Hey there, party people. It's Michael Martin. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate your attention. So gold got smashed for a bit today, if you were long. But I, it reminded me of something that I thought would, would be, I don't know, a little piece of insight that could be helpful to you. If you were up to this point a gold bug, or if you do have a model where you're doing a mean reversion style trade, or you were waiting for a pullback and you're into gold, then buy the gold. Either do gold or do GLD, because trading gold stocks is not trading gold. And I think it's a mistake to think that you can buy gold stocks or miners and make money in the gold market that way, because that's a business. That's not gold. Gold is gold. Now, gold itself has no value. Everything's priced at the, at the margin on the last trade. So there is no value the way you would think of it from a stock. We've talked about that before. I'll give you a case in point. Many, many years ago, I was starting out, and this whole, this very issue came up. And I, they might have been talking about J.P. Morgan, who had a big gold portfolio, or Freeport McMoran. I honestly don't remember which is Rex. I'm usually really good with this stuff. But to be frank with you right here, right now, I can't remember the company. I'm going to think it was J.P. Morgan. And gold was coming out of like a four. It was trading up over, just breaking from 390 over 400 an ounce at the time. And so... I can remember the gold was making its move, but the golds, this one particular gold stock, and again, it might have been J.P. Morgan, wasn't moving with it, despite all the gold that they had. And everyone was sitting around going, I don't understand. Some of these gold stocks are moving. Some of them aren't. And we can't figure out why. And it's like you can see what you can see, and you, it's like the bigger part of the icebergs under the water, right? So what you find out a year later or in the annual report, is that they had sold their inventory forward. And so they had effectively hedged. So anything over 400 didn't mean anything to them because they had already capped. It was like selling a call, if you will, right? They had all the underlying that they owned at 350, and they wrote the 400 call on the entire thing. So as the market moved above 400, yeah, they got to keep the premium and the distance between their basis and the strike, but everything over 400 was somebody else's trade. You know, I don't know what gold's going to do any more than you do, but if it does rally back up, I would play, if you want to play gold and you want gold exposure, then play gold. Because you might be surprised to find out that some of these commodity plays, they're active in the futures markets, right? So the analogy here is that it doesn't matter if it's gold, copper, tin, nickel, zinc, aluminum, sugar, soybeans. I don't care what it is. If they're in the business, they very well be active in the hedging space. So gigantic price appreciation in the underlying commodity might not necessarily mean anything to that company from a P&L standpoint because their hedges were in. And that becomes tricky because you're not going to see that unless you have an inside thing or the company is very, very active in, in discussing their hedges, which in my experience, they were not. Um, you can, you can rest assured that you're probably going to be the last person on the team to know what's actually going on. There were some companies back in the day that were known to have very, very good hedgers. A guy named Scott Topping, who handled the energy book for Southwest Airlines, was among the best in the business. He's since retired, from what I understand, at least from Southwest. And there were a few other people here and there who were very, very good at what they did at helping their company be very, very profitable. Why was that a big deal? Well, somewhere in whatever it was, 07, 08, when crude went to 138, Southwest had hedged using several different types of tactics and instruments 
to offset those price spikes in the underlying, which would affect their jet fuel A costs. So they didn't have to pass on the higher cost to the end user. They were able to keep their fares where they were. And that gave them a huge competitive advantage, right? So hedging is bona fide. It works. The futures markets were built by and for hedgers. The fact that speculators can be there is incidental. Um, but the rules favor the hedgers. And don't forget that. So if you're looking in a long-winded way at anything that is in and involved in the commodity business, make sure that you understand that what you see is not necessarily what you get. They are not pure plays on the commodities that they're actually dealing with because of the fact that they very well might be involved in both futures and swaps and anything else over the counter to help manage their risk. They're looking to run profitable companies, not necessarily top-tick the market. Get your free copy of the Intervoice Trading audiobook at martinchronicle.com. Any feedback that you have for me here is always welcome. I appreciate it, and I will see you next episode.